0: Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better home school relations, higher teacher staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune into. Uncommon Sense, Children and School, with David Wilson. Now, here's your host, David Wilson.
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you to that intro intro from BBS Radio. Uh, This is our third show. We're on every second week. And uh, just trying to get out there and back in the game because I think it's absolutely necessary at this time in our culture that our schools are really struggling. And I think I had some answers back in 2006. I wrote a book called Uncommon Sense Children in School. I was in the school system already quite a while and I worked with kids at that time for quite a while. And I just saw things going awry. And uh, not that I was a genius either. I mean, I have three graduate degrees in the area and I was a school psychologist. I had a degree in school psychology. But just common things, things that if you just sat down and talk about and listen to people, you'd say, OK, we're, we're getting off track or we're on the right track. And, uh, you know, once I started thinking about that, Once I started thinking about that, I said, uh, we got to get this out there. And I had a passion to write that book, actually, which started probably in 2004. And I had a passion to write that book because really where we were lacking was relationships between the home and the school. And just from that core concept created tons and tons of problems. Uh, For example, uh, you know, the parent that said, you know, while while he's with you, he's yours. And then a teacher said, I'm not here to deal with behavior problems. Well, those questions should never be posited to the so-called other side. There shouldn't be another side. It should be a team. And of course, uh, when the child is at the school, the school is what they call in local parentis. But that's in place of the parent during those hours where the parent's not there. It doesn't mean more powerful than the parent. And it doesn't mean that they can make decisions and totally run the child uh, and and make decisions for the child as if they are the parent. It really means uh, they're just with us for today and we're going to do the best we can with them. But ultimately, that parent still has to remain involved. And from the other perspective, a teacher can't say, I don't deal with behavior problems because that's the school today. I mean, we have some exceptional schools that don't, but... You know, we expect today that our teachers are able to deal with behavior problems, and uh, unfortunately, they're not getting enough training. Some teachers just get it, and they understand what to do, and they're good at it. A lot of other teachers need the training, and in higher education, you know, one class in behavior management does not make uh, the situation any better. So there's lots of teamwork that needs to happen, and I saw it coming And I have some examples. And unfortunately, I got a great example for you today. And please, you can call in, uh, you you know, throughout the show. I'm waiting for the number to pop up on the screen. But you can call in at any time during the show. And I'll give that to you as soon as I see it. And uh, ask questions. Uh, Please, please uh, feel free to do that once we get that number up. But the other thing is... uh, we, we expect to, to have our schools do everything they need to do to keep kids safe, but we're not given the tools to do that. So one of the things that came up today, and this is just new information that uh, a friend of mine uh, shared with me in their school system, and they have a program and I, I don't even want to say the name of it because I don't want to give it any attention, but it's a program that allows a child to take a temper tantrum, and they said they let the child's tantrum just come to an end, and they don't want to interfere with it. Now, I, I again, I'm attaching common sense here, and I'm saying I'd really want to talk to the person that talked to school district into that program and, and how how is it possible that you can do that in a public school system? When one child has a temper tantrum and disrupts a whole classroom, it's not just about that one child. You have to consider the 27 other, let's say it's a basic 28-child classroom. You have to consider the other 27 children. You cannot allow a child to just wear out their temper tantrum in a school system. For one, it scares other children. It shows the other children that the school district and the leaders don't have control of the situation, which is a a very, very scary feeling, especially for the younger and the older grades. Matter of fact, even more so with the older grades because those kids can do greater physical damage uh, the bigger the kids get. So if they're allowed to walk around a room and threaten and tantrum and knock a desk over here and there, and you're going to say, we're going to wait till it's over, uh, you, you've created a whole bunch of different problems. You've created some kids in that classroom that don't even want to come back to that classroom. You've given that student more power, and the odds are is that they're going to do it again. So you, you, I don't understand. I, this is, again, this is my connection, why I say it's uncommon sense, because really doing things today in the school and countering these kinds of things is really uncommon sense, We've just lost it. We've actually lost it. Uh, my, you know, when I, I give the example of a, a teacher that a child had a tantrum in the classroom, and I was working with the child for quite a while, you know, outside of the room in different arenas and the family. And, you know, together we decided that this little fella needs to apologize when he has a tantrum in the classroom uh, before he re-enters the classroom, he needs to apologize to the classroom. And, you know, you think about it. He was just on fire. There was nothing restricting him. There was no restricting him. There was no shame. There was no guilt kicking at other desks and calling kids' names and and this and that. So when I told the teacher that, you know, this young man needed to say he was sorry before he came in, the teacher's face turned white and said, no, 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 that's not necessary and almost begged me in front of that child not to have that happen. Now, I obviously couldn't make the child. I just said, you know, young man, you, you've got to do this. If he didn't do it, we would have walked back, out of the cl- walked back out of the classroom, went to the office and called the parents. But, and they would have understand because we had talked about this. So he mumbles it under his breath after great stress from the teacher, which the children seen. And one by one every child in that classroom started welcoming him back in saying it's okay it's okay and he was going through some tough times and the kids knew it and these were young kids they're very perceptive so he was welcomed back in and forgiven and that's really what we want people to do when they say they're sorry but you know in terms of the teacher i think believing that this was shaming him in public by making him say he's sorry or expecting him to say he's sorry I'm thinking the shame came when he made the fool out of himself and, you know, walked around the class kicking desks and doing this or that. The shame did not come when he was asked to apologize to the classroom. That is common sense. So I really believe what we have to get with our schools is back with these basic human human uh, rules for decency with each other. It's saying you're sorry, it's saying please forgive me, it's saying thank you, it's saying you're welcome. And by the way, I'm not just talking about the children. Teachers have to do that. It's a great time for teachers to model if they made a mistake to tell the children and tell the class that they're sorry. Now, unfortunately we have egos to get involved and one of my, my stances is that when you're leaving your house in the morning as an adult who works in the school, it doesn't matter where, if you're on the bus, work on the bus, work in the kitchen, work as a secretarial staff, work as an aide, teacher, principal, superintendent, whatever. Leave the ego at home. Very hard for board members and superintendents. I understand that we we've, we've got a. To, we'll touch on that later. But that ego for those direct caregivers has to be left at home or before you come into that school because that that will alter your decisions in a way that benefits you and yourself and your own pride, not for the betterment of the children in the school setting. And we wanna model that for children. Let go of your little pride. Pride, pride does a lot of damage to people. It stops you from doing the right thing many, many, many times. And there's some good pride when you're proud of yourself for doing something. But when it comes to problems and you just can't say, I'm sorry, can't say, forgive me, can't do this, that's your pride coming into play and in your ego. And I'm, you know, believing that you're bigger than the situation and you don't have to do that. So, this is part of the things that I talk about. But the first thing that I want to say is if we implement a program to turn your school around, if your school's having problems, and if you're listening to this, your school's probably having some problems. And again, I need that number on the screen for my friends at BBS Radio. Uh, I can't locate it to have you call in. Uh, I'd like them to put it on the screen so so we can get you guys to call in. I'm looking at a previous show to see if I wrote it down. And it's an 888 number and it's probably on you, the, the site, uh, the website that you clicked on to. I'm going to try to find it in my notes here. And We'll see if we can find it here. It's a... 1-888-627-6008. That is the number to call in if you have a question you want to pose to me and we can talk about it. 1-888-627-6008. And again, my name of my book is Uncommon Sense Children in School by David M. Wilson. Wilson with two L's. You can find it on Amazon. I have a consultation website called UncommonSenseConsults.com. And uh, we can possibly set up a Skype presentation for your school or if you're in the northeast section of Pennsylvania, I can actually visit you. So there's lots of things that I want to get done on this website. But let me say the first thing that has to happen if we're going to turn your school around and get things back to where they're they're supposed to be and not worrying about school shooters, having teachers that are happy, increasing staff retention, decreasing the dangers in the school, increasing, you know, student interaction, uh, so many things, and increasing grades. We've got to do this. And the first thing we have to do this school year, if you were going to start this program next school year, you've got to start, and this is for the board and the superintendent and a parent and teachers association, you've got to start discussing ways to end school cell phones in the school. They really have to go. It's very, very difficult to achieve this with that little monster in the school. There is no reason for it. People fight for it because now we have adults that are attached to them. School boards who are school board members who are parents want them because their children have them. The destruction that they've done in the school system is almost immeasurable. And if you do your own research, I, I'm not a person that's going to do all the research for you. I'm going to say do your own research and check out the schools that have gotten rid of cell phones or set a school fo- cell phone policy. They are doing incredibly better. What that has done to our system is it turned the schools into more of a social setting than an educational setting. And I'm not being naive. It was always social because we went to school to see our friends and interact with our friends. But we did, you know, some were in our classes, but we, we, we did interact with them before school. We interacted at recess. We interacted in our gym classes. We interacted at the end of the day. We interacted in some study halls. But now children are allowed to call while they're in their classrooms with their phones in between their legs And they're communicating and texting each other. And this is also a foundation of cyberbullying within the school system. They're not necessary. We go back to the way it's always been done. It was a very, very simple thing. But technology always gets ahead of us. And in this case, this got ahead of us before the schools can get control of it. And the parents. It got ahead of everybody, just like texting. And now texting and driving. Do you think that's only a problem for children and teenagers? It is not. You have a problem. You 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 watch on the roads as you drive. You're going to see, you're going to see middle aged people texting, and you're going to see older people texting. This is not just a problem for young people anymore. So I think that's the big problem for young people in driving. But they're not the only ones that are making these problems with new technology. But cell phones in the school are easily easily replaced by. Listen, I need to talk to my parent. It's important. You get a pass, you go to the office, you call your parent from the office. The parent needs to talk to you, they call to the office and they send for the student. I, I don't know how much easier it can be, but that little change will alleviate so many problems that have evolved. You, you won't even believe it. You're not even going to see it until the, the cloud clears and you no longer have that in your school system. But you'll never be able to do that during a school year. The communication about letting cell phones go and not having them in school system has to start the year before. So, you know, now is a good time. Your school board member put the policy together with the PTA and and all your thinkers, and your higher level thinkers, put it together and tell your students this. We're ending this school cell phones in the school system in the year school year 2019 2000, or 2020 and 2021, there will be no cell phones from students in the in the uh, school. So, you know, that's the first step. Uh, one of the things I heard today, I have to run this by you, when, when my friend was talking about the tantrums and allowing the tantrums to go on, I, I had so many questions and about it. it kind of blew my mind cuz it gave me some more information to talk about more than i really wanted to talk about but it's a great it's a great example of where we've come to i've heard parents say over my career as a school psychologist that they don't set limits on their child because they don't want to break their spirit i've heard teachers say that and now we have a program that come in it probably has a fancy acronym to it and i'm t- i'm trying to tell people Whenever you have a program with a fancy little acronym uh, that says, you know, things are going to get better, you do this, you know, within uh, three months, you're going to see the changes. Please do your research. Nothing is going to change that fast. We are in a situation to change our schools around is going to take a two to three year period. And I like to call it what I believe a legacy building uh, program, a legacy school, where We start off, again, the year before, planting that seed. Cell phones are going. Then in that first year, we introduce these concepts, the thank yous, the I'm sorry, the forgivenesses, and what has to happen with that and what we expect. There's got to be a letter to parents and a letter to all the teachers. This is what we're going to do, and we all got to be on the same page, and we're going to implement it strongly in several classrooms grade levels and then the second year you put in an other grade levels so they not the same ones that just had it but by the third year every student in that school district will have been introduced to what we're doing and after that third year is all it's going to take is for the teachers to stay up on it and it should start rolling along very nicely on its own. So it's meant to really be like a two to three year program. And and actually, it could start showing a lot of results earlier. It'll show results in the classrooms that's being used in. And the other classrooms and teachers will be curious on what you're doing. But again, it's about communicating these new ideas. I don't believe they're that new, but they're ideas. Communicating to parents. Communicating to teachers, we are going to change things around. Children are not going to re enter classrooms after explosions and disrespect to teachers or disrespect to peers. Uh without if they've done it in front of everybody, then they apologize in front of everybody. And if you say that's breaking the spirit of a child, you're a little misled. That child broke <laughs> That child put themselves in that position with the behaviors they had unleashed in public. So, uh, you know, I really need people to look at that differently. And when we talk about breaking the spirit of a child, setting a limit, setting behavioral limits on children, break their spirits. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure how to talk about that. I would need people calling in saying this is what people mean when they say that they. Basically, what I've learned and the people that have said that they don't want to deal with temper tantrums, but I'll tell you what they're going to deal with down the road. They're going to deal with children who haven't had limits set on them. And as a matter of fact, by the end of their school time, they've probably had many conflicts with teachers because their philosophy was so different than what the school needed them to do. The child's schooling career, K through 12, was probably an absolute nightmare. So, they're going out into the world having been protected by their parents from having limits set on them. So, what's going to happen in society? Well, the same thing's going to happen in society with the children that uh, are not allowed to fail. So, now you have children that fail because they try. Uh, uh, very, very hard, but there's something else in interfering. It's emotional, you know, behavioral, uh, 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 special needs cases, you know, learning disabilities, the cognitive disabilities, that's different. You know, you you work with those children differently. But you also have children that just don't care about being at school and they don't want it and they don't put forth the effort. So do, do those children get C's and D's just to get them through? Because they're not working hard. And a good teacher can tell who's putting effort forward. Most good teachers can tell who's putting the effort forward. So does everybody automatically get C's and D's? And then that parent wants them to go to college. What do you think is going to happen when you go to college? Do you think college gives out grades? Uh, they don't want anybody to fail. Absolutely not. College tech schools, if they go on for that. As a matter of fact, even employee, when you're going for employability, because I don't just believe in college. I think employability training is huge and there's a lot of kids that will do great in it. Uh, but even in employability training, if you're not trying, do you think you just automatically stay hired? So all of these things matter. You know, they matter greatly. So they have to be talked about. Again, the number to call in is one eight eight 627 6008 And we're talking about concepts that I wrote in my book, Uncommon Sense Children in School, back in 2006 you know, on Amazon. And you may also want to look at my website, Uncommon Sense Children, and, or I'm sorry, Uncommon Sense com. And I had a... Uh, some national interviews on that, that are taped on that site and they had to do with school shootings. So here's, here's uh, some information on school shootings. When was the last time we had a school shooting where weeks and weeks after they learned this about the child, because, you know, you have to let the first two weeks go because all they are is rumors. You don't listen to anything the first couple weeks. The facts will start coming out a little later down the road. But when was the last time you ever heard this from somebody after the rumors wear down and you're getting the facts that, man, that was a strange thing because this child was so social. They were in one of the nicest social groups in school. They got along with their teachers. Their parents were intact. Or if they were divorced, the parents had a good relationship with each other and they came into the school together for the child's needs has anybody ever heard that? Please call in if you ever heard that. 188 888 627 6008 It doesn't happen. What we hear are broken families, many, 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 many cries for help to other people, to other students, to online, on Facebook, uh, behavioral indicators all along. And they just weren't recognized. And I think the shame of it is. is We don't have to allow. These were all children on the fringe. And I think some of them were out of school too. But most of them are in school. And they're children on the fringe. Our job is to not let children on the fringe. And there's a couple things we can do to stop that. In the. In the. In the change of classes, uh, and I haven't found a school that would do this consistently and where every teacher would do this. There are always excuses because it puts teachers in a tough position, but they don't have to look at it that way. At every exchange of class, a teacher should be at their doorway saying goodbye to the kids leaving, saying hello to the kids coming in and keeping an eye on the hallways. An adult presence will decrease bullying behaviors uh, dramatically. And you can also watch for those children on the fringe that nobody else is talking to, that that nobody they're talking to, and you can connect with them. They will connect. If you start, especially at the younger ages, you start pulling them in, you start saying hello and looking them right in the eye, a little pat on the back as they walk by. A hello and a goodbye when they leave. A hello when they come in. By name. Call them by name. You will affect that child over time. Time and time again you do that. Now, there may be some teachers they just won't connect with. It. All children are different. And this is the same if we're talking about uh, the quiet and the, chi- the shy child. The The quiet child worries worries me more. Because the quiet child isn't saying much to anybody. The shy child, if you'll notice, will have one or two friends. They're more introverted. They'll have one or two friends. And you'll see them goofing around together. They may be connected to one or two teachers. Uh, That's very different. Shy is just another part of a personality for a variety of reasons and not all bad. Quiet, quiet is different. If a child isn't saying anything to anybody, why does everybody think they're okay? Because they're not causing a problem in the classroom. They get very little attention. I want to know what that child's about. I want to know if that child is seething in anger underneath that. When I see a child that's not communicating with people, especially at the early elementary grades, we're calling the parents in. There's, there's something isn't, isn't right. And we have to look at those situations and because we have to be able to document really well that you've done everything you needed to do uh, to alleviate any any future problems. And if you can get that child out of that world, whatever it is, maybe, they have a, maybe it's a divorced family and maybe the parents don't behave nicely to each other and there's a lot of negative talk going back and forth, that's all workable. Because whether you realize it or not, the non-custodial parent is supposed to be invited into the schools for all the meetings. Now, And by law, they're supposed to be invited also. Now, the custodial parent may not tell you that. It may say, oh, no, oh, no. But you have to do the counselors, the principals. You've got to do your own research on that. Because if, you, if there's a problem that you guys can resolve between those two parents and show that child that the parents are going to pull this together for you for school. They may not like each other too much, but they love you and they're going to do whatever they need to do to get you to school get you through school, okay? That is incredibly powerful. Now if one parent shows they just can't handle it, then that's another issue. Then they may you may have to look at a different avenue. They still have to be communicated with. We still have to expect them to do their role when they have their every other weekend or however it works. Uh, I don't believe in suitcase children. I don't believe there should be equal custody. I think that makes life and that that custody agreement the child's problem. Now we have a child that is exhausted, going back and forth from home to home, never having any roots. If two parents are both mature and they're still loving and they care about their child, they will be okay with one of the parents being the custodial parent, because they're going to be able to communicate beyond what the court says, for one. But that child needs roots in one place, the, the, the equal uh, custodial arrangements only benefit the parents, not the child, so please remember that, uh, not necessarily a good thing. They get tired after a while. So so anyway, getting back to those quiet and shy things, all those things need to be assessed early on. We can't have, a, I'll give you an example of a situation in high school where we had a very angry, angry child, kind of quiet, not many friends, if any, and sometimes most of those kids, are, they do have friends, they have like-minded friends, that is where the fringe goes. They'll connect with the negative energy. But I said, when was the last time we had the parents in? And I was told, oh, I think the child was in 10th grade at the time. They said, probably back in second grade, parents don't come into any meetings. I said, that's not acceptable. To me, it's not acceptable by law, because when you tell a parent, you need them at the school. And this is the strength of the school and the backbone of the school. You've got to pursue this like it's gonna save the child's life. You've got to pursue this. This is unacceptable. A parent, at least one, needs to be coming to that school when you need them. And really, you want them there on a regular basis. I always told people, I, I would take the parent that was calling me every day and people thought they were pains, I'd take them any day, any day over the parent you never heard anything from. As long as they weren't always placing blame, they just wanted information. If it was always you people, you people, you people, then I would, I would address that. But the parents that just want to be involved daily, that's all right. Try to work with the parent who doesn't want to be involved. It's uh, near impossible. You can use children and youth. You can say this is not acceptable. We need you in here for the care and the management and the success of your student. Pull on heartstrings. Uh, most parents have them. And when they they know that you truly love their child and want the best for them, uh, most parents will come around. And I'll give you an example on that. We had a, a young man and the boy who's maybe third grade only, very obese and uh, being picked on, bullied. And I had just come to that school and I said, what have we done with the parents? And uh, the response was, well, we we can't really do anything because the mom is very obese. So that meant that a dialogue about obesity was off the table. And uh, I said, the dialogue obesity is back on the table. And a lot of places I went, you know, I moved around. I had the luxury of geographic mobility in my career and uh, really scared a lot of people initially because I was on an out-of-the-box kind of guy. And I did arrange a meeting, which people really were uncomfortable with. And we got that mom in the meeting. And we put the parents at the head of the table. They're, they're the most important person at that table. And the, the child's next to them. And I said, you, you know, ma'am, we, we were having a problem with your son He's not doing well at school. He's being picked on. And a lot of it is because of his weight. And he's even told us he calls himself, he calls himself names. And before I could say another word, that mommy was crying. And she lifted her head up. We all let her cry a bit. And people were looking at me like, you know, see what you did. And you're looking at me. And uh, after a minute or so, she lifted her head up and she said, well, look at me. She said, I'm his model. She said, it's my fault. And I said, ma'am, we're not looking for fault. We want to know what we can do to help. And that's really what we want to say. How can we help you? Because now the boy had snacks. The boy wasn't being given a regular lunch. He was being given garbage. And this was the pattern. And the mom started saying, this is what we eat at home. She said, I binge eat bags of potato chips, this and that. And that sometimes is his supper or dinner. It's garbage. And she said, I have to change that. She said, I see what it's doing to him. I have to change that. Now, would that dialogue have ever happened if we didn't? I don't call it taking a risk. I say just doing the right thing. Now, could a parent come in and blow up? Absolutely. I'll sit there while they blow up. And I'll say, I care about your child and I care about you. But I said, we want your child to maximize their academic, social, and behavioral functionings in this school. And right now, this child is in third grade. He's got nine more years of this. Which way do you want those nine years to go? He's a beautiful kid. We, we really like him. And then you start seeing simmered, people simmer down, but you have to have some people with some skill sets that can talk to, to families. You really need to designate your better speakers. You don't personalize. You let people be angry at that meeting. They're hearing things maybe for the first time, so be open minded. Again, the number to call in one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. My name is David Wilson. Uh, My show is Uncommon Sense Children in School. The title of my book, written back in 2006, available on Amazon.com. My consultation website uh, is UncommonSenseConsults.com. We can either do Skype workshops or if it's local to northeastern Pennsylvania, I can actually make it to the school. So there's ways for us to connect and get this thing rolling. But please don't be fooled by a quick fix. There are no quick fixes, my friends. We are talking about educating and training and having everybody understand and we you have to know how important all your staff are. Not just the teachers and the aides in the classroom. The janitor, the kitchen staff, the secretarial staff, the maintenance staff, these people see things that principals, school teachers, and aides may never see from the kids. They are eyes and ears in this school. We've got to get them on the same page. Uh, uh, I remember a bus in 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 a school district I was working on. I was behind it one day, and I couldn't believe what was going on dancing over the seats i mean it was a party it actually looked like some kind of party and i followed the bus back to the school and i said ma'am what's going on she said what i said the kids were standing up and again i believe this is all of our responsibility by the way i just didn't think it was the, the responsibility of school psych i thought any responsible school staff should address these kinds of things She really didn't acknowledge how bad it was. They said, well, that's, that's not acceptable. I said, all those kids out of their seats, jumping over seats. And she said, well, I don't know what to do about it. They're a horrible group. And I said, okay. I talked to the principal and I said, I want to be on that bus. And I went on that bus. And they laughed at me. I was taking names down. I said, could you tell me your name? They knew me from just being around the school. They didn't know me as any authority. And that's okay. I just said, I asked them to sit down. They said, who do you think you are? I said, just just an adult on the bus trying to keep this safe. What's your name? If they wouldn't tell me, I'd get it from somebody else. had If you didn't tell me, I got it from other people. So I had about 15, 20 names. Took them into the school, made the calls to home. I had to ride that bus four days in a row. On the fourth day, everybody was in their seat, and I was saying, good job. This is what we need, you guys. That bus driver needs to keep you safe. She can't keep you safe if she's looking back at all of this craziness. And they said, we're sorry. And and children have that capacity if you teach them. If you don't teach them, and I will admit myself, I would run amok if I didn't have some structure around me, which goes against the breaking the spirit theory, children children want to learn. They want good models. If we don't provide them that, they'll go the other way. Okay. Call in. One eight eight six two seven six zero zero eight. 627 6008 Tell me the problem you're having at school. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't have some concerns going on i'm ready to give you my opinion and see if we can work together and come up with some ideas uh please take my legacy program seriously and understand i know you may be saying two to three years that you know it's too long we've got too many things going on but things will start getting better the first year things will start getting better because the cell phones will won't be there this is the school year to talk of losing the cell phone dealing with even board member tantrums and adult tantrums. I mean, some adults have to have them. And the school, the kids could say, well, why do they have them? Listen, the school isn't a democracy. The school is run by adults, but you can't throw the phones in their faces. But some of the adults in the school building have to have their cell phones on. Uh, that's just life. It doesn't always seem fair, you know, You <laughs> say life isn't fair. You guys, we got to do what we have to do. Uh, They're also a detriment to to, uh, first responders should something bad start happening. First responders get overwhelmed by parents and media rushing to school because of cell phones. And you'll always hear the excuse of, well, it saved one girl's life because she was able to call and they found out where she was. Well, it may have also gotten some people killed by uh, somebody hearing that cell phone go off. But the more dangerous factor is keeping the area contained, which first responders say is an absolute nightmare when everybody has a cell phone. So, so there's a you know there's different ways to look at that. But we need the support. The school needs to be safe. We need the locked doors. You need the cameras. It's just a different world. Uh, you need your your uh, school guards. Uh, you know everybody. You know, school guards wearing weapons these days is in question. But your own area has to make that decision. Your own school board and all your 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 thinkers in that district have to make those decisions. But you still need your school guards, and uh, uh, you still need to know. You know, there's only certain doors that children can come in and come out of, and all the other doors remain locked. Not with little stones in them, so people can sneak out and get smokes and have smokes. Uh, including teachers, my friends, uh, you know this is not just a child problem. In some ways, we have to recognize there's things that we need to change. Again, my call in number one six one. I'm sorry, one eight 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 six two seven six zero zero eight. This is Uncommon Sense Children in School, based off my book written in two thousand six, available on Amazon. Uncommon Sense Children in School, David M. Wilson with Two Wells, and also my website on commonsenseconsults.com. That will tell you a lot about me and my history, and we have a lot of regional and national uh, interviews that are on that that you can can tap into to hear a little bit more about me uh, that could help you make some decisions. So we went through some of the basics. I'm trying to think. uh, There's so much more to uh, the program, but I think Convincing uh, kitchen staff, bus staff, uh, maintenance men, secretarial staff, administrative staff, that they're part of the team and that there are certain things we expect of them is also a challenge because they don't necessarily see it that way. We just need their eyes. We need their eyes and ears. And we need them to be communicating in a similar manner to the children uh, as well. You know, we, we don't need to be every child's buddy, but we can certainly be friendly and be consistent uh, with children. And the, the, the tough issue, like I said, I was starting to talk about this a little earlier with, you know, the teachers being in the doorway. Teachers think if they see something, they have to get involved in a physical conflict or not but for the most part if you're out there you're not going to see a physical conflict because the presence the presence of adults cease that however your school board and the policies developed by your school board with te- parent teacher input and even student input is really important on when hands are laid on children now being sued for standing there while a child was getting beaten severely, uh, counter that with being sued by the parents of the child who was beaten severely. Where, what, what end of the spectrum would you rather be on? Now we want nobody to get sued, and I will tell you, in my 17 years in the school system, all as a school psychologist, this is rare. I never had, I never had a case. Uh, uh, taken to the law, argued, uh, or 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 rejected. I had something come up about two years after I was out of the school system because of a sentence I wrote in one of my reports that was incorrect, and I tried to straighten out with them. But it was political. Still, the people that were after it to change it were trying to be political. Uh, but that was my, that was a mistake I made and I clarified it. But in my 17 years in the school, we never had to go to court over any of my evaluations or anything I ever did. And I intervened on some situations, intervened on some situations physically to keep people safe. Uh, we have to know when and when not to do that, but certainly we can't, uh, again, talk, talk about this as a team standing or watching somebody get beaten. And nobody doing anything, and the adults standing there watching is not is not a good thing. You have to have a plan. There has to be a plan. There has to be people to call. There has to be an emergency system uh, uh, to interact. Uh, the police will never get there quick enough. You, you have your hall, your your school support staff, and your school guards possibly, but somebody has to intervene. No intervention is not an answer, especially for that child who is being harmed by a possible bully. Sometimes fights just break out, and they're hoping that an adult will see it and stop it. Just just your presence will stop it. But uh, sometimes there's some pretty heavy-duty stuff that goes on, and the bullying uh, uh, is one of them. And the other thing is all those areas in your school that are – off-the-beaten-path have to be have to be uh, circulated with adults. So the teachers that are off for certain periods, again, or the hall staff, hall monitors, support staff, must be walking around. You've got to leave your offices at some time and walk through restrooms, hallways that aren't usually frequented, uh, little off corners. Every school has them. Children have to know that those areas are patrolled and check the doors. I mean, this is it's got to become second nature. When we do those things automatically, you start changing the culture of the school. It is no longer an unsafe place. And with safety comes child security. With child security comes peace. With peace comes a better learning capacity. But the better learning capacity becomes better outcomes uh, in the bigger picture. And, and, you know, there's nothing bad that can come of that. Uh, it just, it takes work. Like I said, no fast acronym, cute acronym is going to resolve it. And uh, allowing children to tantrum until they until they burn out is not the answer. Uh Walking away not knowing what to do is not the answer. We should always know what to do no matter what situation is coming up in front of us. We should always know who to call or what kind of signal to put out. Uh, you know, the other thing, I I really haven't talked about this before. This is my third or fourth show, is uh, the volume in the classroom. There are... Uh, Little speakers and things that teachers can use because what we noticed over time is teachers give themselves headaches by raising their voice so the whole classroom could hear. You could put a tiny little mic on and have some speakers towards the back of the classroom and be talking in your normal voice because straining your voice six hours a day for an entire career, for one, that will frustrate you at times and probably have you react in a negative way at times when when it's a bad day. But there are technology, there is technology out there where you can, I, I use this, by the way, in a, a gymnasium guy. We had four speakers all around the gym. He looked back at me and all he could do was smile because, you know, they have to yell. They're yelling and the echo is going across the whole, whole room. You could talk at your plain voice and everybody's hearing you. And you're not raising and straining your voice. How many teachers have you heard with strained voices? Uh, You get, you know, stay up on a technology that will help you do better in your classroom. That's a good technology. Bad technology, good technology. Even the phones don't always, they're not always bad in in life. Uh, They come in handy for a lot of things, especially in the business world. But uh, for our kids now, I think texting is taken over as the number one killer uh, in car accidents uh, over alcoholism now alcohol related uh, deaths so they're dangerous so texting and driving texting and learning you know all these things have gotten way ahead of us and we got to put a stop to it so if you are interested in this kind of dialogue and further in this please again the number is one 627 We're coming to the end of our show. So I'd love a call. And we can see if you think I'm on the right page or what we need to talk about for our next shows. Next week, it's going to be a repeat of one of my shows because I'm going away for a few days. Or not next week, in two weeks. I do a show every two weeks. So they will be playing one of my previous shows. Uh uh, and, and they're all kind of right now. Until I get more calls coming in to talk and ask questions, they're going to be similar. I I end up mentioning something different every week because uh, there's so much information to go over and 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 work on with people and share with people. It's I, I love it. My passion is to just keep talking about how to better the lives of children and everything I make my even though this is a passion, everything I make. Half goes to my nonprofit called A Thousand Brothers, which is uh, a ministry to serve families who have lost a child or children. And that started because of losses in my own family and seeing the losses of children in schools. And uh, I drop everything, all the testing, everything gets dropped. And there's a legal amount of time to get that testing done. So what I would do is I'd work in the evenings, I'd work on snow days, I'd work on weekends uh, to get caught up. But when a child dies from the school, everything stops and I work with that child, that child's friendship circle, siblings, parents, I do whatever I can from my position in the school. And I work with uh, the teachers who are closest. That's the most important thing. And then I work on getting people back into a routine because routine is what saves a lot of people. We get back into a routine. Not to forget, just get back into the routine. Uh, it's harder with siblings because they are so greatly affected. And we don't know how moms and dads are taking it, if they're together or how they're taking it. I find those kind of things out to help. But that's my nonprofit. So you know anything that makes selling my books uh, goes to that. I have one Christian fiction novel out there called A Wisdom Child that really was developed to help people understand children better. Uh, It's not it's not for young children to read. It's for the mature teens and adults, but it will help understand kids a lot better and the power of positive uh thinking and relationships and children. And and even though it's a Christian fiction novel, there are some very serious issues. It's not it's it's not uh sugar coated, but it's written with dignity. It's kinda like the old comedians that used to be funny without having to drop the F bomb and every other, you know, every three or four words. So I'm able to write and talk about some really tough things happening without being so descriptive it turns people away. So even that, that's on Ex Libris, uh, a little bit pricey. They price their books higher, but it's a worthwhile book to get. Uh, I'm a pretty decent writer. It's a great story. But that's on Ex Libris.com called A Wisdom Child by David Michael Wilson. Uh, you got my Uncommon Sense Children in School, by David M. Wilson. Again, that's on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can order it, order them at any bookstore, I believe, at this point. And then uh, you can visit my website. It's And And uh, I have a new website, still got a lot of work to do with it, with my uh, uh, thousandbrothers.org, a thousandbrothers.org, and that's all spelled out in letters. You can check that out sometime, just to see what it's about. And uh, again, the more you learn about me, maybe the more faith you have in me as someone that you can listen to that can do a little workshop, you know, for your school. I'm very, very interested in communicating with uh, parent-teacher associations because uh, really they're they're the connecting uh, my my. A connecting tool that can just sprawl out to everywhere if they're if if they're a good group. I don't I think they're different in every school, but uh, they're definitely nef- necessary. and i'll I'll end on this note tonight. We'll talk about what do you do when you get a bad teacher and they have tenure. Don't get fooled by that tenure argument. Teachers can still be let go if they have tenure. You just have to do better research and documentation. A bad, a teacher who does a bad job affects lives exponentially for the next 20 or 30 years of their career. That doesn't have to happen. And I'm not trying to get people fired, but I'm just saying there's some people out there that don't belong in the field. Good research, good documentation those teachers can be let go also. Don't fall into that trap of thinking that. So there's so many different things we can talk about. And I hope the next time we speak, again, my next show in two weeks is going to be a recorded show. And I will be back on track in a month. And I hope that I get enough followers that are going to call into that, that number. And, uh, you know, the, the 188 number, six two seven six zero zero eight start calling in so we can start having some dialogues uh, uh, to meet your school's needs and really consider some big changes. And we can talk about if it's necessary in your school or what your school is doing right that you can share with me because I'm open learning both ways. I want to teach, but I also want to learn some new things. So it's a two-way street. Uh, my ego is left at the door before I walk into the room and get on the, uh, the Skype network, and uh, we'll just we'll go through this together and have some fun while we're doing it. I want to thank those who are listening, and uh, my friends uh, uh, Dug and Down Newsbaum from the BBS radio station—they're doing a great job—and please check out their other shows. Uh, A couple good guys and a good good station to listen to and learn. I thank you so much one more time for the attention that you've given me and for clicking on me and listening for a bit. Uh, Hope your weeks, till we speak again, are safe and happy and and wish you well in your work with the kids and your fellow staff. And uh, that's about all I have to say. And just keep hanging in there and doing the right thing and fighting that good fight. And it is the good fight. When your career is all said and done, you can step back and be very, very proud of yourself and what you accomplished. And especially if you help develop a legacy program school, that's what you're handing down to the children, a legacy school. Thank you very much.
0: Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better home school relations, higher teacher staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune into. Uncommon Sense: Children and School with David Wilson every other Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio Station 1 and check out uncommon-senseconsults.com because the better the teamwork, the sweeter the outcome.